This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Politics makes for heated debates and sometimes is the value-driven glue that binds us together. My guest today, Angela Vithoulkis, has a solid history as a small business advocate, commentator and advisor. In 2012, Angela decided to become a politician elected as an independent councillor for the City of Sydney, where she was subsequently appointed as Deputy Chairperson of the City of Sydney Economic Development and Business Subcommittee throughout that term. In 2016, Angela formed the Sydney Matters Independent Team and successfully secured a second term on the council. As well as her civic duty, she also established a small business podcasting platform, Eagle Waves Radio, five years ago. Her flagship show, The Brew, has achieved record downloads and views with some amazing guests, including sporting legends, rock stars, and of course, politicians. Angela has been New South Wales Entrepreneur of the Year and has won a Telstra Women's Business Owner of the Year Award. Last year, she was named as one of Australia's top most influential female entrepreneurs. And because she's not busy enough, she decided to start her own political party, the Small Business Matters Party. I'm deeply excited and honoured to ask her about that and so much more as we discuss the politics of campaigning. Welcome to the program, Angela. Hello. How are you, Amber? I'm really good. So I'm going to delve back into uh, maybe the semi-dark ages. I don't know how old you are and I won't ask because it's not polite. (laughs) But um, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Were you from a big family or a small family? And what are some of your fondest memories as a kid? So very, very small family, just my brother and I and my parents. Um, And I remember Gilligan's Island when it was in black and white. So that, that's how far back I go. There's your vintage in, in a nutshell. So that, and, that, and did you have, have a fond and happy, yeah, was your childhood kind of something that you remember fondly or was it difficult? I mean, what was your sort of grounding like in life? I had a very, I think I'm going to say a very privileged childhood because I worked in, in the businesses with my parents from the day I was literally born almost and and the fun part for me was that and all the other kids were jealous because I always had more lollies than them my dad used to bring me a hot chocolate to school every morning and leave it outside my door for little lunch so I wouldn't drink the awful awful free milk that was given to us sitting in the sun for several hours so I was I had fun I had I had a great time as a kid hanging out in the shop and serving customers and learning all my intense math skills from a very early age. I was I was ready, no doubt, to be an entrepreneur from a very young point. It does sound that way. So early career, did you, did you stay in the family business? Did you branch out? And what did that experience teach you? I didn't branch out. I left school before, um, be, probably before I should have, but exactly when I was ready. So I left before I finished my HSC, never finished high school and went straight into my parents' business, which was a sandwich shop at the time with a rather large kitchen and the only reason dad let me in there is he said you have to serve an apprenticeship first and you can't tell the chef you are my daughter. Wow. So I had a, that must have been character building. Well, yes, it was um it was difficult initially because I was a little bit outspoken uh, and wanted to sort of talk about things very early on but 
I wasn't an expert. I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I could serve customers, but I had no idea about being in a kitchen environment. So I had to learn those skills. And the chef used to always make me crawl into the rotisserie and, and clean the ovens, lie down and get into the oven and clean them because I was the smallest person in the kitchen. So he took advantage of it. I used to go home with bits of chicken in my hair and the dog would chase me down the street next door. Oh my goodness, what a classic image. So as a small business owner, obviously there's lots of challenges. I can I can relate to those. Hospitality has its own particular challenges. And do you think that it's been particularly more challenging perhaps in recent times to say compared to other sectors like, you know, tech or, you know, other entrepreneurial pursuits that you might have you know, gone down and have you really managed to stay ahead of the pack? Because you've been in the industry for a very long time. So uh, things have changed in hospitality. It's they're not as easy as they once were. You you had to initially used to just turn up uh, and get the job done. You'd work hard and that made all the difference in the world. But as things have progressed, competition has intensified. Everybody wants to make coffee. So it's the new red wine situation. And it's become an issue. I mean, I'll give you the example is where my latest business is in in the city on George Street. When I first came here 15 years ago, there were five other cafes around me. There are now 28 cafes around me. And there aren't any more. competition is crazy by the sounds of it. Competition is crazy. And let's face it, Raisin Toast is the same in any shop. Uh, I like to think we're outstanding at what we do, but it is a mainstream business model that hasn't really changed much over the years. You've only got to try and do it faster and tastier than someone else. So it's it's an interesting uh, situation. So the idea that you would enter politics, was that something you just decided one day it was time? I mean, or was there a tipping point that really made you motivated to want to go out there and um, I guess have a really public profile where perhaps you may have avoided that it's it's an interesting scenario because not only did I never intend to go into politics even when I started to become involved it wasn't my intention to do it I hate having my photo taken Amber I I dislike cameras it's it's not where I would want to be so it was quite um it felt unnatural for me to be involved at a level where suddenly I was the front spokesperson and my face was on 20,000 posters around Sydney. I I always used to look up at a telegraph pole and go, oh, my God, that's me, and I, I hated it for so long. I still hate it now, but I, I know that's just part of the job, but it, it wasn't something I sought. And I didn't get involved straight up as being wanting to be a politician. I was just last man standing. So tell us about that. Let's cast your mind back to sort of six, seven years ago. When you say last man standing, how did it even happen? I mean, people just don't tend to knock on your door and go, can you run for office, do they? They do, actually. They do suggest that it's a good idea for you to get into politics. You're the, you know, they, they pay you a lot of compliments to try and make you dream about a, a bigger life and tell you that you're the right person and, and you've got a lot of experience and you'd be really good at this. But I was approached by a group of people who wanted to set up another independent team to contest local government for City of Sydney. And uh, I, I thought I was being part of a group. I didn't ever entertain the thought that I would be putting my hand up to run for Lord Mayor in 2012. Uh, but um, this particular group found that they didn't find any other candidates. They didn't put it that way to me, but I was later to find out that there was no one else interested other than Surprise, me. Angela. <laughs> but I didn't know I was actually interested until I was sort of pushed to the front and someone said, it's you, you know, tag, you're it. 
So that that's how it happened. It was quite unintentional. I, I got bitten by a bug of of a, a dream and a focus and, a, and an idea that maybe I could do this. I had zero idea of what it entailed. I had zero idea of what I was about to give up in my life. I had zero idea that I was about to be involved in a situation of which not only did I have no experience, but everyone else in this game had a lot more than me. So I was like very much like a baby on her first day at school. That's incredible. And yeah, after all those years of having so much experience and being a leader in what you what you do, it's I guess like day one back at school really. It it is. And it I think it's it's even worse when, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but when you've been a, a boss for so long, and at that point I'd been in business, self-employed for, you know, let's say 20 odd years, and to go from being the chief to knowing everything, to making all the decisions, to being in total control and then suddenly being thrust in an environment where you're not at the top, you have no control, you have no idea, no one wants to help you, you literally have to learn everything yourself and you don't even know if you're learning the right stuff. That sounds overwhelming, but you've been a counsellor now at the City of Sydney for six or so years. What have you discovered about the realities of campaigning? Because it's obviously a very particular process and with the digital social media age, it's probably even more frantic than it's ever been. What's that experience been about for you? So politics has changed because of the digital world and the social media that now is, you know, minute by minute. But the old school style of politics, of grassroots, that that hasn't changed, Amber. You still need to go out and talk to people. You still need to door knock. You still need to turn up at events. You still need to be right across everything and not just have short, sharp media comments. You need to sit down next to a person and talk to them about what they're going through and see from that conversation whether you can help them and, and, and whether you have the ability and the resources to do that. So that part hasn't changed. But for me, cold calling was one of the difficult challenges that I faced. I, I didn't, didn't understand. Who likes cold calling? Surely well, nobody. Walking up to someone's front door and knocking on the door and saying, you know, hi, I'm, I'm running for local government and having this weird look on someone's face confront you like, why are you wasting my time? I'm at home in trying to enjoy dinner with my family or I'm trying to clean the house or I've got a baby or I'm just going out to work. I felt like I was invading people's privacy every time I knocked on a door. In fact, my staff used to push me through the gate, down the gate's pathway and say, you know, you've got to knock on this person's door. And I'm like, no, they're not home. And they'd say, but you haven't tried yet. I can tell. I used to say, I can tell they're not home. Sometimes they believe me. That is hilarious. It, it was awful. It was, it was embarrassing and I was scared and I, I, I felt humiliated so much of the time. And, you know, I used to think, well, who would want to talk to me? Who would care about what I'm trying to do? And that, that, was, that was the biggest challenge that I faced in that first campaign was coming face to face with obviously my fear and insecurity about whether I was good enough to be there. Absolutely. And with the campaign, obviously there's a strategy and a message that you're trying to get across. Each campaign probably has its own nuance depending on the issues of the day and, you know, how you approach those. Your campaign team, who were they and how did they help you? So I had um, a lot of, I had my family around me. So my brother was and and has always been my right hand. Um, I had some close friends. I was so new to the world that I didn't have 
what you would now call an advisor or a chief of staff. I just had friends with good intentions and we were all learning as we were going. And, and funnily enough, when we ran the first campaign with no idea and no experience, we actually performed better than in the second campaign, even though I was elected again. We performed better in the first campaign by just sticking to a few topics and a few issues. In the second campaign, I tried to be all things to all people with more experienced personnel around me, with slick staff, all the bells and whistles, and it wasn't as effective as the grassroots simple campaign that we ran with nothing. That's interesting. It just goes to show sometimes I think we do overcomplicate these things, even though at the end of the day, I guess a campaign is, yes, it's about getting you elected, but it's also about the serving of the people that you're in your constituency. So exactly. I guess the and being authentic, being authentic and genuine and, and not taking your eye off the ball. Like I, obviously I, I think I did that with the second campaign by focusing so much on technical aspects and not the people part, you know, what are we doing on social media? How are we doing this? What's the flyer look like, etc. I didn't worry about that the first time. I just said, oh, yeah, that looks okay. And suddenly it became all about, you know, where was the brand and where was the style and where was the tick? The execution, maybe. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, next time I'll, I'll have learnt some very thorough lessons. Absolutely. So we have very few women in public office in Australia. Do you think men and women campaign differently? And are perhaps women judged harder than men, maybe even in 2018? Why or why not? I think there are sim- some similarities here we can draw with the corporate life and, and politics in, in how men and women operate differently in those worlds. So I think the the comparisons there that I would look at is men network differently in the corporate world and women network differently. I, I don't play golf and I probably aren't gonna, not going to meet a bunch of people for drinks and, and have a few beers and, and nut over where am I going to get my next job from. So as a, as a typical female, I think in, in politics for us, it's all about meeting people face to face, connecting with them on a level that we can empathise with and understand. I think, and I, I'm, I'm safe here, I'm comfortable with generalising, men have a lot more open bravado about walking into a room and thinking automatically they're all going to love me. Absolutely. Women walk into a room and think, right, how am I going to make this work? And that's our focus. We don't assume automatically that just because we're there that we've won or we've ticked something. So I don't believe that that's coming from an insecure place, Amber. I think it's just a different approach. I think our approach as women works better. It connects better. But clearly we have more men in politics, so the numbers might speak differently, but I I think that's a whole other challenge there. So women do do things differently. Our approach is different. I think we've... That can be a good thing too, I imagine. It It doesn't have to be seen as a negative. It's a gentler, I think it's a gentler approach, but we, you know, we can step up when need be. I mean, I have a very loud voice when required uh, and I, I think I'm, I think I'm fairly tough. You do need to be a lot more thick skinned, I think, as a woman in politics, but you have to be more thick skinned in the corporate world as well. There aren't many differences here if you, if you're drawing parallels, you know, people do judge you on the way that you look and they judge a woman on the way that she looks harsher then they judge a man and tongue-in-cheek here, that's clear because I don't think there are that many attractive men in politics. Totally. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. 
I'm, I'm okay <laughs> to say that. I'm happy to say that. There just aren't that many hot dudes in politics. Fair enough. So what do you think makes for that strong winning campaign? You sort of did the juxtaposition of your first to your second campaign and touched on some of the ideas of grassroots ideas. And I guess at different levels of politics, it it might play out differently because, you know, federal issues and state issues and local issues might all be slightly more nuanced. So what do you think are some of the key elements for those amazing campaigns that help get politicians over the line, perhaps even if the rest of their party is struggling? It's what we connect with I think on a personal level and how we identify. So you don't necessarily have have to have been through that experience, but you do need to understand what it's been like for someone else if there is an issue. Because somewhere in politics, everything that we do and say and address and contemplate is somebody's issue or a need. And that's what we're there to fulfil. We're either there to resolve something or to advocate for something or to find a solution for something or another way or legislate it. So all of all of those reasons that we are there, if you don't connect with the issue, with the challenge, with the person, with the group, with the body, with the company, on what they're trying to get and or fix or achieve, then you're not going to be able to, to get that goal over the line because it takes that drive, Amber, of I'm going to do whatever it takes to help this person or to help this community it's that drive that will make that change. It's not just about the win, it is about the journey because in politics, highlighting what's going on is a win. Absolutely. You may not make that change ultimately in that day, but you have shown that there is a problem, you have put a light on it, a floodlight if necessary, and that often will bring about the change further down the track. That's interesting. You can't commit to it if you don't understand it, if you just pay lip service to it, People know that, Amber. They can see Yeah, I think that too. I do. I think people are very savvy and I think years ago perhaps politicians weren't under so much of a microscope because of the way in which the media cycle works now and, you know, the 24-7 media cycle really. But I definitely think people know. Well, people aren't as silly, I think, from, from a perspective of they've had so many lies served up to them that they recognise it a mile away. So if you're not genuine and you're not authentic and you think you're that slick, old-fashioned salesman who used to go around with the Hoover vacuum cleaner, your, your <laughs> days are outnumbered. You are, you are either gone or on your way out. It, now it takes, it's issue-based. It's are you a champion of change? Can you help someone? And you should never judge the issue, the size of the issue because there are some politicians who will only go after a big issue for a big win so they look good. It should be important. The smaller issues for that person should be just as important as a major federal issue because what happens in your backyard is vital to you. may not worry you what's happening in Canberra, but what happens in your backyard does worry you. And those politicians that are true civic leaders care just as much about that as they do about what happens in Canberra. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. And and perhaps, you know, without sort of criticising any particular politicians, the cycle we've been in for the past decade where we have a revolving door of federal leaders and so forth has probably, you know, dampened our appetite and trust factor because we feel like it's just about the next election win. It's not really about the issues. And I think that's the challenge we're in at the moment. I agree. And it's affected people within politics. So having that kind of instability in, our, in a leadership of some kind, and again, regardless of what colour politics you are, having genuine leadership in politics means that that group 
or that party also have someone to follow and believe in. And I think that instability has affected the culture of politics within the parties and the people that are in it. And they've also felt that instability and, and that's kept good people out or it's pushed good people out. They're two really good points. You're still there, Angela. I am. I am, in spite of everyone. So as the founder, obviously, of a new political party, which is super exciting, imagine super challenging, the Small Business Matters Party, what platform are you going to be campaigning on and where are you at in this process? So we are a new party, Amber. Thank you for bringing us up. Small Business Matters is important and it is our next fight. It's the next battle for the next election. But what, what, I, what I addressed in five years in local government was that I had the true expertise of small business. I am a small business owner. I live it. I walk it. I talk it. And people were really drawn to that. So a lot of the issues that I dealt with locally was about and for small business owners. And, of course, as issues got greater in Sydney and my voice got louder and complications were piling up within different infrastructure projects, I felt the need to be a bigger advocate. So we formed a party and that's not the easiest thing to do. I have to tell you that many have tried over the years in Australia to set up a small business party. This is the first time it's ever been achieved and it's been achieved by a small business woman, I'm very proud to say. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, our next step, I mean, we're a few months old now, but we have, we have soft launched uh, our campaign for 2019 for the New South Wales state election. And our purpose here is to advocate for small business. So I'm, I'm not complicating it, Amber. I'm not coming out with 15 policies on what I'm going to do to change New South Wales. We're keeping it simple. We're here to champion small business and small business owners. And even more important, the communities around these small businesses. We're here to fight for them. We're here to make sure that change happens at the beginning. And that's what a seat at the table gives us in the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament. It means, Amber, that we can sit there and say very loudly, that's not a good idea. It's not going to go well for small business. Have you thought about it before you rush out and do it? And that's what we're there for. We're there for the, the sensible voice, the calm voice, and if necessary, the very loud and aggressive voice to make sure we're heard. And obviously you're heading up the party. How are you going about recruiting candidates? Well, I'm very glad you brought that up because we're looking for some great people. Uh, I'd really love to get some more small business women on board uh, and to help amplify their voice as well because women have a different voice in small business. We are looking for men. It's not that we're excluding them. We're very much looking for them. But we need to put a call out there because people that haven't considered serving in politics and, and doing something for the greater good, this might be their time. Maybe they haven't had a party that's really addressed all of their needs or where their dreams lie, there might be a party now for them and it, and it could be us. It could be Small Business Matters. If you're concerned about what small business is, is doing and what it's going through, if you're concerned about the future and legislation for small business, then this could be your new home. You might have a chance here to fight the good fight. Well, that sounds very inspiring. Changing tack a little bit, what would be your favourite political campaign of all time and why do you think it works so well? Look, I have to say that uh, Kevin 07 was a phenomenal campaign. I mean, he took down a very revered and entrenched politician. John Howard certainly knew what he was doing, whether you liked his politics or not. Uh, so Kevin came along. He ran an amazing digital campaign. 
it was social media really blossoming and spreading its win- wings in Australia for the first time in a major way for politics. He also ran a very media-savvy campaign in mainstream media. So on TV it was all about local. Kevin had built up his, his profile on Sunrise, if you remember. Where he I was do. Sitting. I remember that. Those, those chit-chats he'd go on and have. That's and right. It would seem so normal. Those fluffy comments, you know, it might have been about some a, a movie star or a blockbuster film or he made those fluffy comments that we refer to in when it's not politically motivated. He was on with hockey a lot, so there was a lot of that bounce back and he built up his profile. He was he was really savvy and he, he took down an icon in Australia. So I'd have to say that's a real standout. And Kevin 07, whoever tagging that and it's it's something to learn from. It was a very American-style campaign. I remember thinking that. It had that presidential feel to it. With the, there were a lot the of parallels. Seven banners. With Obama, there were a lot of parallels there uh, and what was to come. But um, And it wasn't a, a necessarily a, a scare campaign. There was it didn't go negative. Of, that's true. That's right. That's right. And I think that's a good example of, of something to hold on to because it's, it's not something I'm interested in. I've been a victim of that uh, and I'd, I'd like to sort of... Um, Stay away from that if possible. Yeah, absolutely. So what's been your most challenging experience for you on the campaign trail and how have you actually navigated that so that you can keep your mind on the task and not take it too personally? Because at the end of the day, Angela, you're a human being and, you know, you can have a thick skin in public but obviously stuff can hurt even if it is done for the campaign purpose. It has been a challenge in building up the political brand. I don't think that anyone would question my credibility as a small business owner but in politics, I am a newbie and I don't have the resources of mainstream politics and the party machine behind me to give me that automatic credibility. So banging down doors, getting that attention that small business deserves, being legitimate and having a lot of substance to the brand as a politician has, has been a real challenge, Amber. I mean, when people don't take you seriously, even when you're elected because yes. you're an independent it, it's personal and even if you do have a thick skin, you're still fighting a war that feels like it's never going to change and a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm an independent female politician on top of everything else and I, I feel that every day. It doesn't get easier for me. Wow, that's incredible but you, you're still fighting the good fight which is fantastic. So just to wrap up, what would be your top three tips for anyone wanting to succeed in the politics of campaigning in case they're thinking of maybe joining your party or running for office? I think it's it's vital to be very clear where you stand internally as a person, where you stand on issues and what you want to achieve so that your authenticity and and your genuineness comes out. If you sell out for whatever reason, it will come back to bite you. So being true to yourself is, is should always be your number one goal. Not getting elected. I, I understand that it is the reality of doing business, if you will, in politics. But being true to yourself means that wherever you end up will be the right point. Uh, having, having a thick skin is paramount. You have to let things go like water off a duck's back because at the end of the day, not only is it not personal, but it's a 24-hour media cycle and someone somewhere tomorrow will be in the same position as you and, and, and you'll get over it. Absolutely. They used to say you were like, the you know, yesterday's news with the fish and chip yep. wrappers. Absolutely. It's the same sort of, I think it's even quicker now in some ways because of the way that well, it, media moves. It's only, it's only you that goes back to check that article. Exactly. Not, <laughs> not everyone else. And the, and the final thing is don't forget, your friends and family along the way because you get so overwhelmed, you get so wrapped up in everything else 
that you tend to make them last in the number of importance and, and they're not. They should be number one because they will be there to pick up the pieces or celebrate. Fabulous. I've really enjoyed our chat. If you do want to connect further with Angela, there will be some details in our show notes, including information about the Small Business Matters Party. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.